Welcome to the podcast for the weekend of Sunday the 1st of August. From St Michael's Lillishall and St John's Muxton, two churches on the northeastern side of Telford in Shropshire. If you're a regular listener, a welcome to you, and also if you're listening to this for the first time, a special welcome. We hope that you'll find the next half an hour of prayers, worship and a talk helpful for you as we try to draw close to God. We are in the middle of a series looking at the Sermon on the Mount and today we're looking at the subject of murder and what Jesus says about this. But as we come to listen to God's word, let's prepare our hearts with a prayer. Please do say these words after me if you wish. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord fills the world and knows our every word and deed. Let us then open ourselves to the Lord and confess our sins in penitence and faith. And we say together, please do repeat after me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour. In thought and word and deed. Through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. And hear these words of forgiveness spoken over us. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon us, pardon and deliver us from all our sins. Confirm and strengthen us in all goodness, and keep us in life eternal, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So as I've said, we are in a series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. The series title is A New Way of Living. And this week we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. Jesus talks about murder. And you may be forgiven for thinking, why are we spending time looking at the issue of murder? Surely this is an open and shut case. It's wrong to commit murder full stop, isn't it? However, as Vicky explained in last week's talk, Jesus' teaching went much deeper than straightforward do and don't commandments. Remember how Jesus began this Sermon on the Mount. We looked at this a few weeks ago. He talked about the state of people's hearts and spirits and what happened to them. So he said things like, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are you when people persecute you because of me. 
In outlining a new way of living, Jesus draws us to the state of our hearts and what is going on inside us, not to a list of do's or don'ts. When Jesus is speaking about law, he goes beyond the letter of the law to the spirit of the law and asks us to look at our hearts. So what does looking at the spirit of the law mean? Well, it means spending time meditating on the law itself and working out why it is there. It means viewing it not just from our own perspective as a prohibition, but from the perspective of God and of other people as a way in which society can function best. When Jesus gave us the two great commandments, so love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself, he was asking us to think about things from two perspectives. First, from God, our creator's perspective, for whom we are all part of his precious creation. Secondly, from other people's perspectives as well. In Psalm 1, the very first psalm, we read that the person who meditates day and night on God's law is blessed. She or he begins to enter into God's love for his world and to understand why the law is as it is. If we ponder on God's law over time, we can enter into the spirit of it and see very deeply why it is there, rather than just follow it as a series of commands. Before he gave the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had clearly spent many, many hours meditating on God's law, and so he was able to speak with authority about the spirit of the law which is why he went deeper. Law itself is like a boundary fence. It defines territory into which we should not stray because it harms not only others, but also ourselves as well. These boundary fences are there for the benefit of a whole society. One way of preventing the law being broken is by attaching a punishment when boundaries are ignored and laws are broken. If there is a known punishment, this can act as a deterrent. However, this does not always work as some people hope to get away with a crime they commit and hope not to be caught. Punishment does not necessarily deal with the underlying problem in the heart of the person who might break the law, that desire to break the law. A punishment may help to change the attitude and behaviour of somebody who breaks the law, but it also may not. They may commit the same offence again. So another way of preventing law being broken is to remove the desire for breaking the law completely from the person who is about to break it. And this can be done by helping to see what they're about to do in a completely different light. And this is the approach Jesus took. So when he was talking about murder, Jesus took us back to the roots of the desire in us, which might eventually culminate in murder. And he also hinted at a way of looking at situations which would take away the desire for murder completely. So let's hear what he says. The first reading is from Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. Murder. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, 
Anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering a gift, your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. At first hearing, Jesus seems to be setting an impossibly high standard. We all get angry. Surely this is not as bad as murder. But Jesus tells us that just as murderers are subject to judgment, so those who are angry with their fellow believers will be subject to judgment. Let's look at what he says in detail. Some versions of the manuscript include without cause after whoever is angry with his brother, possibly because they found Jesus' words very difficult. For brother, we need to understand sister, etc. However, what if Jesus really were saying, don't get angry with your brother or sister, ever? Well, I hear you ask, what then about righteous anger? If someone really is doing something harmful or wrong, haven't I got every right to be angry with them? What does Jesus say? Anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Righteous anger, you see, is not directed at a person, but against the pollution or damage that their sinful or wrong actions create. Righteous anger fully understands that we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God, and instead focuses on the sin and not the perpetrator. Jesus' anger when he turned over the tables of the temple money changers was at what they were doing in his father's house, not specifically against the individuals who were doing it. He turned over the tables on which they were doing business and drove them out of the temple so that they could not pollute the temple any more. Martin Luther talked about an anger of love that wishes no one any evil, one that is friendly to the person but hostile to the sin. Now many of us have issues with anger and anger management. I certainly did as a child and a teenager. There are still times when I get angry, but I thank God that these are much fewer and further between. I don't take any credit for the change in myself, but say it only to point to God's transforming power at work in me. Jesus encourages us to tackle our anger and to make sure that it is not directed at one another personally. If we are to get angry, then it should be against the damage or pollution that human brokenness and sin can cause, rather than directed at those who cause it. You may have heard the simple adage, hate the sin, but love the sinner. This is hard to follow when we see the deliberate actions of people causing hurt and offence. But Jesus calls us to see the person behind the actions in a different light. If we allow God's love into the equation, we understand that God loves others just as much as he loves us. 
despite our and their faults. And if we act in the light of God's love for others as much as his love for us, then we can begin to see how we can love them too. John, in his first letter, points to the supreme importance of love in our relationships, even when talking about murder. Let's hear a section from chapter 3 of his first letter. This reading is from 1 John, chapter 3, verses 11 to 20. More on love and hatred. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, then we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. John says that love will stop us being like Cain who murdered his brother. He goes on to reiterate the danger of hate as being the equivalent of murder. Hate which will exclude us from eternal life. Instead, John says, look at love. Look at Jesus Christ and learn from him. This love, as John points out, needs to show itself in practical action, in truth rather than just with words. In Romans chapter 13 verse 10, Paul says that the fulfilment of the law is love. If we act completely in love, fully embracing God's love for others and for us, we will live within the bounds of the law. Love will stop us from insults. So going back to what Jesus said about insults, the exact meaning of each of these words, raka and you fool, or moros, which is the Greek word, is unclear. Raka is probably an insult to someone's intelligence, whereas you fool is perhaps more serious. If you remember our series on Proverbs from last year, where wisdom and folly are compared, calling somebody a fool is basically condemning them to eternal damnation. Perhaps Jesus was referring to people who called others you fool in this way. And the consequence of saying to other people you fool is that they will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus seems to turn the insult on its head and says if you call somebody you fool, you are the one who ends up being the fool because you will be liable to this kind of judgment. 
If we understand how much God loves others and we allow him to place that love in us, then we will stop using insults. We will stop getting angry with others. Insults are the first step on the road to saying to a person, you have less right to exist than me. They're the first step on the road to wishing that they would just get out of our way. Stop to think, would we ever dream of using that kind of language about those who are precious to us? These people are precious to God. How can we justify using language like that to them? The truth is that how we speak about other people reveals more about the state of our own hearts than the people we're speaking about. This is just as true when we say positive and encouraging things as when we say negative and insulting things. So, what to do? Well, the obvious conclusion following Jesus' words are to cut out the insults, the negative talk, to hold our tongues as far as possible if all we can think to say is insulting and negative. Then, think differently about those whom we are tempted to speak ill of. Jesus also gives practical advice so that we don't get to this stage. If there's an incipient problem, Jesus says, deal with issues that are arising to divide you. He gives a couple of practical solutions for immediate remedial action, so that bitterness and anger does not fester and grow. In verses 23 and 24, he encourages us to use our worship as an opportunity to let God scrutinise our relationships. And if we are in the middle of worship and we realise that something is wrong between us and somebody else, we need to go and sort it out before we carry on worshipping. In another example, which seems to be talking about financial debts, Jesus says if we've borrowed and we've not made the repayments as agreed, then we need to make sure that we sort this out before the matter gets to court. Whatever we do, let us take steps to restore relationships so that there is no room for hatred and anger between us and others. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's a state of heart that Jesus wants us to arrive at. So I leave you with some thoughts. Do we have issues in our relationships with other people? Are we quick to say things which betray our lack of love? Do we get angry and use insults and words which belittle others? We need to be very careful. We need to sort these issues out in ourselves. First thing we can do is ask God through his Holy Spirit to help us fully grasp not just how much God loves us, but how much he loves the person sitting next to us, the person that we find it difficult to love. I'm going to leave some quiet, and in the quiet, just spend some time asking God for help with this issue.
in a moment or two we're going to have a time of prayer. But before we do that, let's affirm our faith in Jesus Christ together. Please do say these words after me. Though he was divine, he did not cling to equality with God, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a slave, he was born in human likeness. He humbled himself and was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has raised him on high and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every voice proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. I'm going to hand over now to Angie who will lead us in prayer. The response to our prayers today is, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for those who preach it to us. Help us to apply it to our lives. When people annoy us or irritate us, give us the grace we need to show your love to them. Thank you for the forgiveness that you show to each one of us. Help us to show that forgiveness to others. In the words of the song, make us channels of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us bring your love. Where there is injury, your pardon, Lord. And where there's doubt, true faith in you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who are suffering right now because of abuse, for those who do not know where to turn to, who feel that life is not worth living. May they find you in their struggles. Help them to find the strength and the courage they need to carry on and the help and the support that they need. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who have recently lost loved ones. We pray particularly for the family and friends of Mike Harris, Graham Brown, Anne Cherm, Joan Collin and others that are known to us. May they know the peace and the comfort which only you can give. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our leaders, for our government, our Queen, our church leaders. They really need you. Guide and protect them in the difficult roles that they are in and give them your wisdom. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And finally, let us say the prayer which our Father taught us to say together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. This is just to give you advance warning that in three weeks time on August the 22nd there will not be a podcast in the normal format. However a recording of the sermon will appear on the website but this will be after Sunday so there will not be a Sunday service uh, podcast for August the 22nd. Now, as we finish, let's hear these words of blessing. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be among us and remain with us and with those we love, now and always. Amen.